everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Myths and stories are essential tools and guides for creative living in this crazy world, and I want to share some of what I've learned from them with you. I want to start today with a story about coyote called Berries in the Stream. One day, Coyote was going along. He was hungry. He came to the edge of a stream and stopped for a drink. There in the water, he saw some bright red berries. They looked juicy and sweet. So he dived into the water, right to the bottom of the stream. But he didn't find any berries. Coyote climbed out onto the bank and waited for the water to clear. There were the berries again, right where he had seen them the first time. Coyote dived into the water again and searched the bottom very carefully with his hands, but he still didn't find any berries. Now, Coyote was getting a bit angry, and again he waited, impatiently, for the water to settle. And then he dove in again. No luck. No berries. Coyote sat by the creek and thought. Ah, he had an idea about how to get those berries. He found some heavy rocks and tied them to his legs. Now I can stay down there longer, he thought to himself. And Coyote jumped into the water again. He almost drowned before he managed to lose the rocks and drag himself back up onto the bank. He was exhausted, and he had not found any berries. Coyote closed his eyes and rolled onto his back, panting. Then he looked up. There were the berries, right over his head. The berries in the water were only a reflection. Now Coyote was very angry. He picked up a stick and began to beat the berry bush. This story gives us a lot of information about Coyote. We see that he is traveling, that he's on the move, that he is hungry and determined to eat. He is impulsive, foolish, and inventive, and he is tricked by the reflection of the berries in the water. Coyote is a trickster, and tricksters can also be tricked. Now, Trickster Coyote is not necessarily a coyote, like the animals that we see running around here. In fact, he is often imagined or figured in his stories to have more of the shape of a human being. And he belongs to mythic times, times before these, the times that we're living in. Now, he's been called a trickster, and this figure has many names and guises around the world. Some of Trickster Coyote's other names are Old Man, Grandfather, Firstborn, Imitator, Transformer, First Creator, and Changing Person. And all of these names are derived, as Barry Lopez says, from his powers, habits, and acts. Tricksters like Coyote disturb us, they puzzle us, intrigue us, They are a paradox. 
They are amoral. Our usual rules don't apply to them. And they are a bundle of contradictions. C.G. Jung said that Coyote, in his earliest manifestations, is a faithful copy of an undifferentiated human consciousness corresponding to a psyche that has hardly left the animal level. The folklorist Stith Thompson called Coyote a, a trickster demigod, a beneficent being who brings culture and light to his people and is also a creature of greed, lust, and stupidity. In his book, Trickster Makes the World, Lewis Hyde says that trickster, in short, is a boundary crosser. Joseph Campbell said that Coyote was a shaman, the oldest creative power, older than any of the other gods that we have created, And it is quite possible that these trickster stories, like the stories about Coyote, go way back, back to Paleolithic times, prehistoric, and early hunting societies. The anthropologist Paul Radin, who studied tricksters, and especially Native American trickster figures, said that trickster is, at one and the same time, creator and destroyer, giver and negator. He wills nothing consciously. He possesses no values, social or moral. And in essence, Raiden concludes, is a lot like human beings. Well, so these are some of the observations of the more astute Western commentators. And I've read them because they contain uh, pairs of these contradictions or dualities that are contained in Coyote and express the paradox that he is. Other Westerners who've come into contact with Trickster Coyote have conflated him with the Christian devil. Apparently not. Making room for a creature who can be in the middle, who can be neither purely black nor white. Now, according to the Native American scholars of their own traditions and religions. Old Man Coyote is a teacher. Coyote teaches us the ways of the world. He teaches us how it works. He shows us the particular quality or way of creatures and plants and rocks, all of the beings that make up our world and have specific purposes, including us, human beings. We are, as Raiden said, like him, or as the Chemawavi say, we follow Coyote. Coyote's teachings are himself. Coyote's teachings are found in his way of being. He didn't write any books or sit on mountaintops preaching. We learn from what he does, not from what he says. Like all tricksters, Coyote is a liar. So I want to invite you to just sit back and relax and listen while I tell you another story about Coyote. And uh, you may pay attention to the details or the moments in the story that grab you because they'll give you some clues about where these themes are operating in your life right now.
This story is called Coyote Shows How He Can Lie. And all of the stories in this program are stories that I've sourced from Barry Lopez's book, Giving Birth to Thunder, Sleeping with His Daughter, How Coyote Made North America. Okay, on with the story. Coyote was going around one day when he came into a group of camps. The men were all sitting around, and they called Coyote over. They knew that he was always telling lies. Coyote, they said, you are the biggest liar that we've ever known. Now, how do you know that I lie? Coyote said. Oh, you make trouble and then you lie, they said. You get away with things like that. And you're very good at it. Why don't you teach us how to lie? So we can do it successfully too. Well, said Coyote, I had to pay a big price for that power. I learned it from my enemy. What did you pay? they asked. One horse, he said. Is that all? said the men. They didn't think that that was so much, as back in those days there were plenty of horses. One horse, said Coyote, but it was my very best buffalo horse. And he had a fine bridle. One man brought out a fine white buffalo horse, his best. That is a good-looking horse, said Coyote. Now that's the kind I mean. I paid for my power with a horse like this one. Let me try it. If he doesn't buck, then I will explain my power. The men agreed and let Coyote get up on the horse. Coyote had never been on a horse before, and he dug in with his claws to hold on. The horse began to buck. Oh, oh, this horse needs a blanket, said Coyote. That's the trouble. The men brought a blanket out and put it on the horse. And Coyote got on again. But his claws were sharp, and they went through the blanket, so the horse started bucking again. He wants something more over his back, said Coyote. He needs a good saddle. The men got a good saddle and they put that on the horse. And Coyote climbed back on. He turned his head as if he was listening to something. That was my power speaking, he said. That voice says that he wants a whip, too. They gave him one. Now I'm going to ride around and try this horse out and see if he bucks, Coyote said. I'll come right back. Coyote rode off a little ways, and then he turned and shouted back to the men. This is the way that I lie, he said, and get people to give me horses and blankets and other fine things. And then he rode away. Well, the people couldn't do anything about it. Coyote rode the horse home and showed it to his wife. Look at this fine horse, he said. I took it away from my enemies out on the plains. It was quite a fight. But Coyote didn't know how to take care of a horse. When he got off, the horse walked away and went back to its owner. This story might seem on the surface to be a simple and merely amusing story about a prankster. And the humor here is very important. Uh, 
The looseness and the playfulness in it stirs the imagination, opens the heart, and it reminds us that the universe and life in revealing truth are not all doom and gloom and heaviness. The world offers us many reminders of the cosmic propensity for play. Like the ravens that have been wheeling around in the sky outside of my window today. So what happens in this story? Men ask Coyote to teach them to lie as well as he does. And he tricks them with lies and ends up stealing a horse. He takes the horse home, but then the horse goes back to its owner in the end. Now, the men got their lesson, though, didn't they? In lying and tricking them, Coyote gave the men the lesson that they requested. He showed them what he does. Now, the strange thing is that so Coyote gave them a lesson in lying by lying. So his lies function as truth in this context, don't they? And so did he steal the horse or was it payment? What's the difference? The actions of tricksters raise questions like these, questions of meaning and truth and the importance of context. His theft, if we call it that, of the horse, raises questions of ownership and possession also. Who did the horse belong to? Apparently, the horse decided for his own reasons. And what is the significance of the theft of a horse if horses are plentiful. It seems that the men forgot who they were dealing with. Because if you ask a liar about lying, you cannot expect him to tell you the truth. And we see that lying is Coyote's nature. It's his way. He even lies to his wife about how he got the horse when he gets home. And what was the point of that falsehood? There doesn't appear to be any, except that Coyote must lie. Now, our teacher Coyote, in addition to raising questions about truth and lying and possession and theft, shows us another important truth. To be effective in the world, you need to understand the innate nature of the thing that you're dealing with. If you get distracted by your desires, maybe, and forget the essence, you can be tricked. Coyote tricks the men, and then he loses the horse because he doesn't know how to care for it. He doesn't know what the horse needs, and the horse goes off to satisfy itself. So you see, Coyote, the men don't understand Coyote, or they don't remember who Coyote is. Coyote doesn't understand or remember who the horse is. And then we can go back to that Barry story that I told at the beginning of the program. And if you remember what berries are, then you remember that berries grow on bushes and you don't get fooled by a reflection and search for them where they're not going to be, i.e. underwater. This all reminds me of a Chinese story that I read recently in the book of Shuangzi. Now, Shuangzi was one of the earliest teachers of the Tao, back before Taoism was an ism. And in this story, a man told 
Shuangzi that the king had given him some seeds from an enormous gourd. The man planted the seeds, and the vine produced a gourd so large that it could hold five bushels of anything. So I used it to hold water, the man said, but then it was too heavy to pick up. I cut it in two and made scoops, but these were too awkward to use. The gourds were huge, that's for sure, but I found that I couldn't make use of them, so I destroyed them. Well, said Shuangzi, the problem is that you don't know how to use things. You have a gourd that's big enough to hold five bushels. So why didn't you use it to make a big bottle that would help you float down the rivers and lakes instead of dismissing it as useless? Your head must be full of straw. You may recognize this story as a variation on the Zen question of what makes a bowl. Is a bowl the container, the sides, or the emptiness inside? Both are the bowl. The man with the gourd saw it as a container and forgot that the emptiness was also part of its nature. So he didn't think of it as something that could float. You have to understand the essence of what you're dealing with in order to use it or interact with it properly. And to be a trickster, to trick, to play tricks, is on the same continuum as being tricked. Earlier on, I said that uh, a lot of common Western commentators, especially Christian missionaries and the, that ilk who came into contact with tricksters and like trickster coyote, decided that he must be a devil because in their universe, it's all black and white, one or the other. But we know, those of us who are really attentive to life, that there is no such thing. Everything is a matter of degree. It's all on the spectrum. And the same goes true is true with tricksters. So tricksters set traps, and they're also caught in traps. To know who or what you're dealing with, then, you must also know yourself. People who don't know their own capacity for lying, who don't see their own trickster aspects, their own opportunism, are easily duped. So, I want to tell you another story that helps illustrate this teaching of Coyote, the trickster being tricked. It's called Coyote and Rabbit. And in the story of Coyote and Rabbit, Coyote gets duped because Rabbit is a trickster too. Coyote's walking along one day and he meets Rabbit. And Rabbit is making a sack. What are you doing? asks Coyote. Well, I'm making this sack to protect myself from the hailstorm that's coming this afternoon, said Rabbit. My friend, you are very good at this, said Coyote. So let me have this sack. I don't like hail either. And you can make yourself another one. Okay, 
said Rabbit. The storm is coming, so here, let me help you get in. And Rabbit helps Coyote get into the sack. And then he hangs it up in a tree so that Coyote will be safe. Oh, here comes the storm, Rabbit yelled. And he started to pelt the sack with rocks. Oh, ouch, 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 Coyote said. It was quite painful, but he put up with it. It's better than a hailstorm, right? But then the sack fell down from the tree, and Coyote's head poked out. And what he saw was Rabbit standing there with some rocks and no hail. Why? Why, I said, Coyote, I'm going to catch you and eat you. But while he was fumbling around trying to get out of the sack, Rabbit managed to run away. But not long after, Coyote came across a field planted with watermelons. And there, in the middle of the field, stuck to a pitch gum scarecrow, was Rabbit. Aha, said Coyote. And he walks over to Rabbit. What are you doing now? Coyote asked him. Oh, said Rabbit. Well, the farmer who owns this field invited me to eat melons with him, but I didn't want to, said Rabbit. So he stuck me up here. And he said that in a little while, he's going to come back and force me to eat chicken with him. But uh, I will not do it. You are foolish, Coyote said. I'll take your place. So Coyote pulled Rabbit down from the pitch gum scarecrow and stuck himself in the trap, waiting for that feast of chicken. A little later, the farmer who owned the watermelon patch came back and shot Coyote full of holes. Now, if Coyote was capable of reflecting on his own nature, then he might have been able to avoid being tricked by Rabbit's lies. If he knew Rabbit's nature, maybe he would have been aware that Rabbit could lie too. And of course, we have to be willing to accept the possibility that being tricked is part of life and that we may not always be able to avoid it. I'd like to share a poem with you by Dick Barnes that expresses the themes we're exploring. It's titled Example and Admonition from the collection A Word Like Fire. My father's admonition, when given a choice, choose the path that leads uphill, always. So up we went. But all led down soon after. Our destination, Deep Creek, where water had gathered by taking every downhill opportunity. We thought of that when the higher path turned down, but no one mentioned it then, nor ever, in fact, till now. Two lessons, and though sometimes I feel clever and have read the Chow I book all about water, I have not forgotten either one. If there be something in a man that flows uphill, he has to go with it, whatever sweat or humiliation may attend his going. Done patiently, this is called matching heaven with heaven, 
otherwise just strife. Now, I want to close the program today with another anecdote from Zi, the Taoist sage. It has to do with our insistence on being right. I offer this as an antidote to what seems to be a real epidemic of uh, absolutism that's going around these days. Zi is talking to a man and he says, How do we know what is real and what is true? Imagine that you and I have a disagreement and you get the better of me. Does that automatically mean that you are right and I am wrong? Suppose I get the better of you. Does it follow that I am automatically right and you are automatically wrong? Is it really the case that one of us is right and the other is wrong? Or are we both right and wrong? Neither you nor I can really know, and other people are even more in the dark. So who can we ask to give us the right answer? Should we ask someone who thinks that you're right? But then how can that person give a fair answer? Should we ask someone who thinks that I'm right? But if he agrees with me, then how can he make a fair judgment? Then again, we could ask someone who agrees with both of us, or disagrees with both of us. But could such a person make a fair judgment? And if we're on different sides of the argument, how could a person find us both on the same side? It's clear, though, that neither you nor I or anyone else can make a decision like this amongst ourselves. Should we wait for someone else to turn up? Someone wiser? Or should we forget about right and wrong, plunge into the unknown and endless, and find our place there in the mystery? That's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. We are working these stories together inside our virtual story circle. If you're new to Myth in the Mojave, I invite you to go to the Myth in the Mojave website and subscribe so you receive regular program announcements with links every time I release a new episode. And if you're finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, please give the program your financial support. You can join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp, which is where all of the programs are archived, for only $5 a month. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access, streaming and downloading, to all of the Myth in the Mojave programs that are archived there, as well as free downloads of everything new that I create. I'll continue to post new episodes with free streaming for limited amounts of time. But if you want to be able to go back to your favorite stories, or perhaps give them as gifts to others, then please join the Bandcamp community. There are apps available on Bandcamp to facilitate download to a wide range of devices. Thank you for your ongoing support of this program and your interest in seeing this story circle grow. And thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, 
happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive. Thank you.